0: to be in 1 Samuel 25. And the last time in chapter 24, we saw that David had the upper hand on King Saul and could have killed him, but instead he showed him mercy. And tonight, we're going to see a situation where David finally loses his cool and he's willing to show no mercy to Nabal until Abigail intervenes. And tonight we have a hero or heroine, Abigail, and I'm going to discuss some of the females in the Bible that have been great leaders. And sometimes even when the men uh, failed to do what God had called them to do, as in the case with Deborah, the great military leader. So I love the story of Abigail. I mean, you, as you read about her, you just fall in love with her. And the title of tonight's message is Character Matters, because it really does. And we'll see that. Verse 1. It says, then Samuel died and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Now, this could have been a part of chapter 24. Remember, the chapter delineations were not necessarily inspired by God, uh, although th- whoever did them did a pretty decent job. Um, did Samuel's dying have something to do with... with um, King Saul going back on his word in chapter 24. It's possible if this happened around the same time. So you kind of see where uh, verse 1 is really a transition verse, could be part of chapter 24, could be part of chapter 25, and a judgment call was made. So King Saul promised David in the prior chapter, oh, you know, you got me, you're a great guy, I won't hurt you anymore, but, you know, we find out that that's not the end of his chasing David. Although Samuel was a preserving force, much like salt, and uh, no doubt with Samuel dead that King Saul felt maybe he had a little bit more latitude to do his evil. There's actually an expression that says, the only thing for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. So now that good man who opposed King Saul is removed from the picture. And we're going to look at chapter 25 tonight. And we see that in, again, and I'm going back and forth here with verse 1, how we can put it with chapter 24, how we can put it with chapter 25. We can put it with chapter 25 because we can see the parallel between Samuel, who, who passes, uh, as a man, a man of character, and Abigail as a woman of character. So you, you choose how you want to do it, but um, I think it go either way. Now the wilderness of Paran, just for a geographical look at this, is the western border of Judah's territory in the south jump into verse 2. Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his doings, and he was of the house of Caleb. So we're introduced to a man and his wife who were really key players in this Uh, chapter as well as polar opposites when it comes to character. The man, Nabal, rich, harsh, evil, and his name means fool or idiot or moron. Choose the the synonym that you like, and we're going to have a little fun with this tonight at his expense. But what it goes to show you is that money can't buy you character. There was a song, Money Can't Buy Me Love, right? Money can't buy us a lot of things. As a matter of fact, Warren Buffett was just diagnosed with cancer. He's a billionaire. I'm sure he's got the best doctors, the best health care, the best food to eat. Still got cancer. So money is a lot of things. People think money's going to solve their problems, but money doesn't. Uh, and in this case, all the money this guy had probably made him even worse and not better. Now we have Abigail, his wife. She's beautiful. She's understanding. She's wise. So the question is, how did she get hooked up with this idiot? <laughs> right? <laughs> Sometimes we ask that question in life, and um, I'm just going to use conjecture here. Uh, Nabal and his family were probably wealthy, speculation. Abigail might have come from a a poor family, and in those days, it would have been an arranged marriage. Wow, she's a woman of great character, and the parents want to get the two of them together, and um, they would pay the family for her. You see what I'm saying? A bride price, so to speak. Um, And again, I'm speculating, but it it happened back then. Verse 4. When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent 10 young men, and David said to the young man, go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shearers. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them all the while while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. Very polite. David and his men were living off the land. They were fugitives from King Saul. However, they weren't pirates. They weren't pirates. And uh, actually, Italy Uh, has in some areas still today pirates in some places that law enforcement and the military don't patrol. Uh, In Somalia, in the seas, there's pirates. So what happens is if you're living off the land or you're living uh, maybe as a fugitive, the temptation is to steal from others to survive. So he appeals to Nabal for help, very polite. Um, They don't steal. They don't take anything that's not theirs. Furthermore, David provides security. So, not only does he not do anything wicked, but he actually does good for those that pass through his band of men. Uh, Probably from Philistines, wild animals, uh, thieves, you name it, as a side effect of being in the wilderness. Now, the sheep shearing time was usually a time of celebration. There were certain events in those cultures, they were very simple culture, there were certain things they did, agrarian culture. Uh, and there was a time of celebration. So David's looking for a little something, you know, a little crumb from the table. Help me and my men out. You know, we've been on the run for a long time. We're hungry. We're tired. You know, we're really kind to you and your shepherds. You know, give us a break. So I'm sure very kindly he said it, as we can see. Verse 10. That doesn't go so well, though. But Nabal answered David's servants and said, "'Who is David, and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master.' Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed from my shearers and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? So David's young men turned on their heels and went back and they came and told him all these words. Then David said to his men, every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David and 200 stayed with the supplies. So the answer from Nabal Oh, not very nice. Uh, Paraphrase, you guys are nothing but common rebels, losers, beat it. I'm not doing anything for you. Now, this is where we get to see what a fool, what an idiot Nabal is, because i got to be honest with you, even if I didn't want to help him, I would have been a little bit more diplomatic than that. You see what I'm saying? So there's no diplomacy in this guy, and David is furious. The first time he's on the run, he's determined to wipe out his fellow Israelites. This was the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. Have you ever been there? (laughs) Have you been in a situation where you're just at the end of your rope and just one more thing is added to you and that's just it. You just lose it completely. When we look at this, it's hard to really even blame David, but it would have ruined his witness. Remember, David was destined for great things. David had a heart after God. But Abigail will point out to him, as we'll see, hey, this isn't good for you, David. It's not a good thing to do, right? Certainly, if David would have completely blown it and it got to King Saul's ears, he would have said to all the people, hey, this is what happens. The guy's on the run. We've been trying to catch him. He's a fugitive. Now everybody band together and, and rat this guy out. He could have had the whole nation and ruined it if he would have just done this and, and laid waste to this village. But even in our situation there's times that we have to be the better person. And that's hard to hear. It's hard for me to hear. Sometimes I tell people it's hard for them to hear. Um, you know, you, you may be in a position, you may be uh, in a, a situation where God is using you and that others are doing things that they shouldn't do, but we need to be the better person. And that was certainly applicable to David. Verse 14. Now, one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. They were a wall to us, both by night and day. All the time we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what you will do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. So one of the young men is, is concerned, and rightly so. Uh, he's concerned about the consequences. He goes to Abigail, and he says, you know, these guys were, were honest guys. I mean, these were solid. They put up a wall, and from danger, they protected us. And, and our master, what a scoundrel he is. He, and I'll tell you what, for someone in this guy's position, for him to say that would have been really disrespectful. However, verse 17, it seems like the whole camp is in tune to this guy's poor leadership. And it's really sad when self-deception takes place. We may look in the mirror and say, I have good looks. I have money. I have degrees after my name, letters after my name. You know, I'm successful. I think I'm great. But the truth is that we're deceived and that character really does matter. And, and we see this a lot in our society, I think. Um, who gets media attention? What have the Kardashians ever done? They're always... Why are they always in the paper? Can we talk about real stuff and real news? Or Charlie Sheen or any of these people? You know, I mean, this is what we give our accolades to in this country. It's a waste of space. It's a waste of having to look for a decent article about world affairs. Character matters. But in our society, it's mattering less and less as time goes on. If not for the actions of Abigail, the entire village would have been wiped out would have been wiped out. Again, no doubt that David and his men being on the run, uh, they were away from their homes for years at some point, uh, and it was difficult for them. If any of you have gone camping and maybe stayed outside for the weekend and slept under the stars, it's kind of cool for the first night or two, but eventually you want to go home, right? You want to go home to your stuff. You want to get a nice shower. These guys are out there for years, and that made matters worse, I'm sure. Verse 18, then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed. How do you dress sheep? What do they wear? animals? Sorry. <laughs> five seas of roasted grain, 100... That's not what it meant. 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and loaded them on donkeys. And she said to her servants, Go on before me. See, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So it was, as she rode on the donkey, that she went down under cover of the hill, and there were David and his men coming down toward her, and she met them. Very brave. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him, and he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so, and more also, to the enemies of David, if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. Wow. So... (laughs) <laughs> you know, how you, you, you kind of go outside and you, you're angry and you take a walk around the block and you cool down. Well, this wasn't the case with David. He's fuming. He's riding towards Nabal's village and he's just, now he's making oaths. And he made a, fo- a foolish oath, by the way, using God's name to say, you know, if I don't wipe out every male in that village before morning light, you know, may God do to me. So, I mean, it's just, it's the bad situation. I think there's a good lesson in this though. Never make life-altering decisions in anger or in extreme emotional distress. Whether it's sadness, depression, anger, hatred, bitterness, whatever the case may be, we need to cool down, you know, and we'll start to think more clearer. And I'm sure we've all been in those situations. But a few things. Abigail deceives her husband. Did you notice that? But let's not get legalistic here. She's actually honoring him, sparing his life, and his possessions. Now, I would look at this situation as well with David uh, and the priest, when David and his men were famished and the priest gave them the showbread, which was only lawful for the priest to eat. So uh, the priest technically broke the law. He violated ceremonial law. But even Jesus in the New Testament says, listen, human hunger, uh, human life is more important than a ceremonial law. So in this instance, yeah, she she deceived him. She um, you know, did something against his wishes, but she actually saved his life, and she honored him by doing that. Furthermore, I think husbands need their wives to balance them at times, and Nabel certainly needed more balancing than the rest of us. I have to tell you that there's times that I, uh, and I know now I'm applying this to a husband and wife situation, but I, I would maybe say to my wife, in my anger, you know, I'm going to say this or I'm going to do this, and she goes, "Oh, I wouldn't do that." <laughs> And I'm like, why? (laughs) So part of me really wants to know why I shouldn't do this. And then, of course, she makes her case, and I realized that she was right, and she kept me from making a fool of myself. And I think all the guys here tonight can agree that at least on a few occasions, our wives have kept us from doing something extremely foolish. By the expressions, I can tell that I'm right. (laughs) Unfortunately, though, there are Nabal husbands and Nabal wives. There's Job's wife, who... If the shoe is on the other foot, where uh, when he was looking for, for basically someone to counsel him, his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? And he's like, what, what kind of counsel is that? He goes, you sound like one of the foolish women. So you got it on both sides, and the list goes on. And the question is, are we actively looking out for our spouse's reputation, or do we not care about our spouse's reputation? I know that my wife always looks to try to make me look better. That's just her character, her nature. I have a good wife. However, Proverbs 14 says that every wise woman builds her house, but a foolish woman pulls it down with her hands, and I've seen that as well. I've seen husbands destroy the the family's relationship, and I've seen wives do it. So it goes on both sides of the fence. Now, if we look in addition, if David would have killed all the males, including her husband... It might have been tempting for her to think, at least, um, not a bad idea. You know, if my husband was gone, the world might be a better place. But it wasn't in her character. And that's where character really matters, when there's a decision that could be made that could really benefit you. But you know it's the wrong decision, and you step in, and you stop that decision. (laughs) And the only thing, you're not going to get anything good from it here. But certainly the Lord sees that. It's It's held in your account. In his his eyes, Um, so it's it's honoring God there. And lastly, Nabal and Abigail, there was a role reversal. Normally, the husband is supposed to cover and protect his wife. Nabal was such a fool that his wife had to go and cover and protect her husband. So there was role reversal. It's not how God designed it. Verse twenty-three. Now, when Abigail saw David, she hastened to dismount from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. So she fell at his feet and said, On me, my lord, on me let this iniquity be, and please let your maidservant speak in your ears, and hear the words of your maidservant. Please, let not my lord regard this scoundrel Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly, or foolishness, is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm from my Lord be his navel. That's interesting because he, was just, he just made an oath to God that he should wipe everybody out. And she's saying, well, you know, it's, it's God who's really stopping you. So David, he just meets this woman for the first time and um, he has to make a decision whether to continue with his plan or what he thought was God's plan or to listen to Abigail. And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord. Now you've got to watch between the capital L and the small L. She's saying small L as in Lord, as in master, somebody I can look up to, meaning David. But obviously when it's in capital, she's speaking of God. Uh, so you have to know the difference there. My Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seeks your life, but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sing sling out as from the pocket of of a sling kind of reminds us of david and goliath right and it shall come to pass when the lord has done for my lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over israel that this will be no grief to you nor offense of heart to my lord either that you have shed blood without cause or that my lord has avenged himself but when the lord has dealt well with my lord then remember your maidservant How do you not fall in love with this woman? (laughs) Um, There was a recent article. Actually, there's a few articles that I read recently about women in the Bible. And uh, out of when the Bible speaks favorably uh, of these these wonderful women of character, it's usually Abigail, Deborah, you know, Phoebe, uh, you got, you know, Mary. But Abigail's usually up there in the running. This woman is truly a hero. Nabal is going to destroy himself, and David's going to help him, but Abigail stops it. Now, notice a few things. Number one, again, she calls him Lord, a term of respect. And two, she basically says, let this blame fall upon me. It's amazing. She's taking responsibility, although it wasn't her fault. Today, we can't get people to take their own responsibility, let alone somebody else's. Um, and you see that a lot in the prophets. As they pray, they say, you know, um, And they may be really decent guys, but they put themselves in the place of Israel and say, All of us have sinned. We've all messed up. You know, they're taking responsibility for themselves and their people. Again, we don't see that a lot today. Three, she says, Basically, my husband is a fool and foolishness follows him. He's pathetic. He's not even worth your time. Four, she didn't see the young men and the things they were doing, implying that if she was there, the outcome would have been different. Five, and that it's God himself that held you back from this bloodshed. David, this is beneath you. This is, I know you're upset right now, but this, you're a man of God. You fight the Lord's battles. He protects you. You're destined for great things. This is beneath you. Boy, she's wonderful. I mean, wonderful counsel. Seven, David, you will eventually prevail and your enemies will come to nothing. Eight, when you were king, do you really want this act of vengeance to stain you? Let God take out the vengeance. And nine, by the way, when you're king, remember me. <laughs> That's okay. It was only one, one to remember her, but. If you really look at this, she's, she's prophesying. She's speaking about future events. Did the spirit of God speak to her and, and give her the script when she went to David? She's acting in the manner of a prophetess. Everything that she says comes to pass. Impressive. Verse 32. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice, and blessed are you, because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hastened and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand which she had brought him, and he said to her, "Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person." What are the odds that this would have turned out so, um, you know, so well? They're complete strangers. You know, he might have seen this woman coming up there with a bunch of donkeys and food and stuff, and you know, he's 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 ready. He's got the sword girded. He's going to kill Nabal and all those males. And this woman probably ends up like right in front of his path, and you know, flags him down and starts talking to him. So, I mean, definitely a divine appointment. David has a complete change of heart. And she completely, Abigail, stops him from committing some horrible atrocities. Verse 36. Then Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was, holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. Therefore, she told him nothing, little or much, until morning light. So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal and his wife had told him these things that his heart died within him and he became like a stone. Then it happened after about 10 days that the Lord struck Nabal and he died. So Abigail goes back. um, you know, Nabal, the fool that he is, (laughs) doesn't know that he was about a heartbeat away from being slaughtered, uh, but he's drunk and he's feasting. And she just figures... He's drunk. I'll talk to him when he, you know, he sobers up, which is good. It's not, always, it's not a good idea to try to impart wisdom upon somebody who's drunk or high. Uh, so Nabel sobers up in the morning, and of course he tells her, and he doesn't, she tells him, and he doesn't take it well. If I was him, I would have been like, oh, thanks, honey, you saved my life, I owe you. you know, here's a credit card or something, I don't know. <laughs> but what a jerk I was, but not Nabal. He's, he's still... Doesn't realize. I'm sure she said, "Hey, they were coming with swords, and I I really saved you." And he's he's not happy about this. Uh, So something happens to him, and ten days later, uh, God takes his life. And we wonder about that. Was what was it? Was it the stress that he gets? So you ever meet somebody that gets so upset over nothing? They get so enraged. They just have this hot temper. Did he just you know? And and some some people have a stroke or a heart attack in the middle of that, and they bring it on themselves. So did he just completely lose his mind and go into fly into a rage and something happens to his heart? He has a heart attack or something, but it doesn't completely kill him. And 10 days later, he dies. I mean, we can look at this medically and come up with a lot of different things, uh, but you know, we don't really know. You could just tell, we only know what the Bible tells us here. But why did God allow this to happen? Or why did he strike him? It's quite possible that Nabal had so much influence over society because of his position, and to him, much is given, much is required, the Bible tells us. So maybe God just said, you know, enough. You've been, been a bad influence to my people for so long. That's it. It's over. And that should give us pause. When we look at, was it Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament? They lied to the Holy Spirit about something we would say is trivial, and God struck them both dead, husband and the wife. Um, does God think any differently about how we should conduct ourselves as believers? No. I mean, we don't see people dropping left and right, but at the same time, uh, this should give us pause. I mean, especially if we have the influence or the power to influence someone negatively, I think a God eventually will stop us. So that's important to look at as well. So if your husband's enabled, hang in there, but I'm not promising anything. <laughs> So what did he die of? Again, it could have been stress. Um, He lingered for 10 days. And I know Pastor Mike and I have had this discussion a few times. We've bantered back and forth from the pulpit that maybe God gave him those 10 days to reflect on his life, reflect on his responsibility and his influence. Maybe he gave him those 10 days so he could repent. That's the God that I know. He gives us every opportunity to do the right thing. It was Nabal's time to go, but I believe he still gave him time to reflect. I could be wrong. It's conjecture. Last few verses. So when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. And when the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. Then she arose, bowed her face to the earth and said, here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. So Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey, attended by five of her maidens, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and so both of them were his wives. But Saul had given Michal, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Gallim. So this is, again, what does the Bible do? Some people say, well, David took some wives and then his son took a whole bunch of wives, therefore God approves of it. No. The Bible records history. It records the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's all in there. And God did not condone this. As a matter of fact, it it was to, to the ruin of his son Solomon. But his father set a bad example. He started the ball rolling here. So what's really neat is even the heroes, you can see their weaknesses. And I love that because there's hope for us. You find me, except for Jesus, any hero, male or female in the scripture, uh, and you'll see, if you read long enough about them, that they had flaws, that they were sinners, that they needed a savior as well. So when you are called by God to do something as insignificant as you think you might be, don't be. If God is calling you to do it, step up to the plate because we are no better or no worse than any of the people that we read about in the scripture. And I love that. So David, he took, uh, you know, Michelle was taken back by his father-in-law. He, she gives, he gives her to somebody else, but this Ahinoam, he marries her and he marries Abigail. So um, he it starts accumulating wives. Let's look at this. Character matters. Nabal didn't have it. Abigail had it. David had it, was going to lose it, if not for Abigail, saving it for him. In our society, again, character seems to be falling uh, less and less in importance. You see a lot of articles written, maybe great politicians or um, leaders or, you know, even, even ministries. Do we hear a lot about character? It's kind of silent. Character, loyalty, um, these things... Uh, I think it's causing our country to fall into decay. Our desire should be for God to hone and to shape our character so that we could better serve him. When we pray, that we would ask not necessarily for things that make us feel good, not necessarily look for counsel that coddles us, but to look for things that will shape our character. That should be our desire. Every person in this church, starting with me, should desire that deeper character that god can work with because without it everything else is window dressing as we saw with Enabel. so let's uh, take these things into heart character matters as we go to prayer let's pray father in heaven lord we thank you for your word and we thank you that this woman might have thought she was insignificant she was married to somebody maybe it was an arranged marriage, and